Hello, and welcome to the Beyond Boundaries podcast, a podcast where we interview faculty, students, staff, and alums of the Beyond Boundaries series of courses and the Beyond Boundaries program at Washington University in St. Louis. In this podcast, we aim to reach across the digital divide and highlight engaging stories told by Beyond Boundaries faculty and students at WashU and their ideas for future work and play. We hope to give you a window into what Beyond Boundaries is, featuring the next generation of interdisciplinary thinkers and collaborators whose aim is to leverage curiosity across disciplines in an effort to solve some of the most complex and challenging problems we face in the world today. My name is Rob Morgan, and I am the director of the Beyond Boundaries program at WashU and a teaching professor in the area of design and the performing arts department. Enjoy the show. My guest today is uh, Daryl Hudson. He is a uh, associate professor in the Brown School of Social Work and also holds joint appointments across the Institute for Public Health, uh, the Washington University Department of Psychiatry, and as I just learned, sociology. Uh, Daryl Hudson, thank you so much for joining uh, the Beyond Boundaries podcast. Thanks for having me, Rob. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, you and I have, uh, I think, in passing, at least before COVID happened, we're always like, oh, yeah, we should get together. We should have coffee. And, and now yeah. um, with COVID, uh, it's, it, this is where we are. <laughs> like, you know, our, our conversation is more of a kind of a more of a podcast where everyone uh, is listening, you know, to our conversation. But I'm super intrigued by the work you do. And I wanted to reach out and and was delighted to hear that you would be interested in, in joining us on the podcast. Um, your work, uh, I think, uh, particularly today, is very kind of very relevant, not to say it wasn't before, but it, uh, it, your research crosses over racial ethnic health disparities and the role of social determinants in health, uh, particularly on how socioeconomic position and social context affect health and health disparities. Um, and so, I mean, with, with everything that's going on, and I know you've been very, very busy, uh, I would love to, uh, to just kind of chat with you a little bit um, about the work you do and that type of thing. Um, how long have you been at WashU, and, and, uh, and what do you do at WashU? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, it's funny how uh, the pandemic has brought people together in different ways. And, yeah, yeah really grateful for the opportunity to chat with you. And, how, did, how long have I been here? I've been here since 2011, so I guess that makes nine years uh, now. Yeah. yeah, we got here the same, I was here fall of August, of uh, 2011 as well, so. Okay, yep, that's yeah. when I got here. Gotcha, yeah. And it was a very warm welcome. Um, I moved in July from San Francisco, and um, I remember it was like 30 days of consecutive 100 degrees or more, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Welcome to St. Louis. It was like, yeah, it's like moving into an oven. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Uh, yeah, and those San Francisco, I think it was at Mark Twain said, uh, you know, the, that any kind of, uh, was it the winter, the coldest, uh, the coldest I ever felt was summer in San Francisco, I think. Um, yeah, the, the coldest summer yeah, the coldest one year of your fault was a uh, summer in San Francisco. That, that's it. That's it. Yeah. 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 I used to live there as well. So that's quite the climate change uh, difference between, yeah. you know, a 50 degree San Francisco summer and, and a hundred mm. plus a hundred, a uh, hundred uh, humidity here. I'm sure it's probably very, yeah. very sticky. Um, yeah, yeah so, for sure. So you're headed into your 10th year at WashU and, and what are these all, you have these amazing roles at WashU. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how, uh, how you landed here? What was interesting to, to come here to the Midwest? Yeah, sure. I'm originally from the Midwest. I'm born and raised in Detroit. And um, so 
But funny enough, when I lived in the Bay Area, I always joked with people that I wanted to stay out of states that were shaped like a rectangle. And <laughs> I like that. I, I guess that uh, Missouri has a little bit, you know, there's the boot hill and a sure. little diagonal here, so it's not quite a rectangle. But <laughs> really the opportunities at uh, WashU made it, you know, a no-brainer to come here relative to, like, other places that I was looking at. And, yeah, happy with, with the decision. It's been a really supportive place, great colleagues, a lot of resources, outstanding students. So nice. really happy with the decision. Yeah. Nice, nice. And uh, you mentioned Detroit. Can you tell me a little bit about your backstory? Like, uh, is that that's where you grew up? And um, do you have siblings? Uh, you know, what, a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So um, Detroit, I grew up in the 80s in Detroit. Detroit is um, it's a place that I love a lot. I love to talk about Detroit. Any of my students will tell you that. <laughs> and it's kind of a, a unique place, though, in a lot of different ways. It's a hard place to grow up in a lot of ways. So you end up developing sort of this resilience slash chip on your shoulder type of mentality. So um, for a long time, there was this, you know, really deep divide between the city of Detroit and the surrounding suburbs. And mm-hmm. so that movie back in the early aughts, Eight Mile was a real thing, you know. So, you know, yeah. crossing Eight Mile, that line of demarcation um, really meant something. And so I would say I had a, a, a balanced childhood. In some ways it was, it was really rough. In some ways it was really great. I had some outstanding people to kind of make it possible for me to be where I'm at. So I was raised with my grandmother for a large portion of my childhood. And, um, you know, she was 65 when I was born. Wow. And um, she passed away when she was um, about to turn 98 mm. in 2014. And mm. I remember asking her, like, Grandma, why did you, you have raised all your kids, you raised four kids, mm-hmm. and you, you know, could really just retire and re- enjoy your garden and et cetera, and you took me on. And she said, you know, I said, why did you do that? And she said, you know, I just thought you were worth saving. And that was kind of the the spirit that she had. And she wasn't an accolade-driven person. She was very self-sacrificing. And, you know, I just try to, you know, remember that and honor her memory um, and and doing what I do. And, Uh um, yeah, so another, another, you know, kind of interesting bit about me is I'm the only um, surviving child of my mother. So I had three younger siblings. Um, wow. I'm the only one that's living. So we had a, a house fire. Um, so I was telling our resident um, advisors who moved into Lapata House recently that when I was the same age as our sophomores, I lost my siblings in that house fire. Wow. And so, um, you know, again, just thinking about the, the, the balance, there's this, um, this quote that I like from this Rudyard Kipling poem, and there's a lot of problems with Kipling, obviously, um, <laughs> historically. But, um, you know, in addition to the Jungle Book and some of these other literary uh, masterpieces, he gave us this poem called If. And um, the what the line that I like to, to remind myself of kind of the the adversity and the and the overcoming is if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. And so that's kind of like my motto in life. <laughs> and, and so just trying to weather through adversity 
and mm-hmm. always remembering not to get too high, not to get too low, and just mm-hmm. trying to do the best I can from like a self-care and, you know, really this humility um, that mm-hmm. that my upbringing has brought about. So, wow. yeah, I know that's a, that's a little bit different than a typical backstory for no. for no. a professor, but um, yeah, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm very proud of my background and and where I'm at. And like I said, I try to honor the memories of my my grandmother and my siblings. Of um, course, yeah, and the work that I'm doing. Wow. I I lost a brother when I was a baby to leukemia. He was an older brother and I, you know, I have no recollection of him at all. And I remember my mom asked him a lot, um, you know, uh, what what do you want for Christmas? You know, what do you want for your birthday? And and he was so uh, mature, even at age six, he said, I want my brother to be healthy because he knew Mm -hmm. that he knew his time was limited, but you know, thank you you for sharing that story. That's uh, very moving. I, yeah. I'm I'm uh, actually delighted that your grandmother who raised you lived that long that she could see your success, you know, and see yeah, how, yeah. how um, you were already here at Wash U at that time, right? So yep. Um, yep. she got to see you rise to your level where you are now. So she must mm-hmm. be very proud of you even from above. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a backstory. Um, um, so I'm sorry. I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, so no uh so you so you you went to high school in Detroit area, I assume, and and then and then where, where what happened next for you? You you were at Morehouse College, I believe. Yep, that's right. So, um, like I said, my story is interesting because I've got these balances. So, when I was um, getting ready to look for colleges, and I was concerned about how much college cost and all that, and my grandmother was talking to my great uncle, and my great uncle. Uncle Boy lived in New Jersey, and so that was kind of like an extended branch of the family. We didn't see them very often, but she kind of allayed my concerns about, you know, going to school and figuring out how much it would cost, how I'd pay for it and stuff like that. And he kind of reassured her, like, yeah, it'll take, it'll, it'll figure it, we'll figure it out. And so when I applied for colleges, just around that time, he passed away, and he was older too. He was over 95, I want to say he was between 95 and 99, not mm. quite 100. Um, wow. So hopefully I'll be blessed with the same longevity. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Um, but what happens is is in the wake of his, his passing, we found out he left a trust fund and um, there was money for, for me and other people in my family to pursue higher education. Um, and so the reason why I decided to go to Morehouse among a number of different reasons, but one big one was that he was a Morehouse graduate. So he graduated from Morehouse in 1929, Wow! which is, you know, just 50 years into Morehouse being an institution, which was founded in 1867. And so, um, yeah, so that was, that was the reason why I went there. And at first I was like, yeah, I wonder if this is really true, but I found um, kind of like the, 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 not the yearbook, but just a, a record of when people graduated. And there, there he was in 1929 wow. nice. that graduated. So I was very proud to um, kind of represent that family legacy there. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, so I was at Morehouse, and I thought I wanted to be a psychologist. I majored in psychology, and I learned about public health sort of towards the middle end of college. I was doing public health related research, although I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time. Um, being in, in Atlanta, um, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention were there. And so I was being paid by CDC <laughs> and I didn't know what public health was. <laughs> and um, 
so I ended up going to the National Institutes of Health. Um, so I worked at the National Institute on Drug Abuse as an intramural research fellow. And the, the nation's, the mission of the NIH is the nation's public health. And I was on a Johns Hopkins campus. And so public health is everywhere. And so I learned about it. I said, you know, I think I'll, I'll pursue a master of public health. And so I decided to go back home to be closer to my grandmother. Um, so I went to the University of Michigan um, to get my master of public health and decided I loved it so much that I would stick around and get a PhD and um, <laughs> kind of never looked back since then. So that's kind of how I ended up. Most people fall into public health, and I can I can say the same thing. I kind of fell into it, but it's it's a really obviously right now with the pandemic and everything that's going on, it's a really important field. Yeah, yeah. As you know, our new chancellor is uh, 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 also from Michigan, or was there for a while uh, after mm-hmm. being here for a number of years. Did you all cross over there at, at Michigan? No, not at all. Um, yeah. I think he came after I was at WashU actually. Got it. Um, Got it. To Michigan, and so. Yeah, I've known a lot of mutual contacts, and people had nothing but good things to say about him. So I was yeah. really excited yeah. when he decided to come here. Right, and then to kind of finish the the loop of the story there, somehow you ended up in San Francisco. How how did that happen? Yeah, so um, that was for my postdoctoral fellowship, and so um, I was fortunate to be a Kellogg Health Scholar, and it's the Kellogg company that makes frosted flakes uh, right <laughs> and, and so kellogg and the robert wood johnson foundation are two major or they're still our major philanthropies that give an incredible amount of support to support health and so they both had postdoctoral programs that mm-hmm. they they're kind of human capital development and so i was selected for the site that they had at the university of california san francisco in berkeley so nice. i was able to spend a couple of years out there and get to expand on you know my at that time very rudimentary ideas and and all that and kind of develop and um also gave me a chance to expand my network so really great yeah, yeah. opportunity nice nice and the work you do at WashU, I can't help but uh, assume, and I don't want to assume, that's why I'm asking, <laughs> um, that that uh, COVID has exposed, uh, as we all know, health disparities, uh, and and there's a greater chance of dying from COVID and becoming mm-hmm. ill from COVID if you're a person of color. Can you, how how has your life changed in just the last six months? Like, what's with what you do? Is it uh, are you much busier? Or is it is your research changed maybe a little bit? What's what's happening there? Yeah, it's been a, a whirlwind. I can't believe it's already mid September. <laughs> I'm like, where did the summer go? Um, indeed, indeed. So I have been really, and, and many people like me have been really busy. Everything from, you know, just explaining what's happening, so explaining the inequities that we see, to giving talks about what's happening, um, to writing grants for different funding opportunities to kind of explore what's happening there. So it's been it's been a really busy time. I've been joking with people and saying it's kind of like for public health folks, it's like the nerd Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, it's been interesting to see um, a lot of my colleagues on national news, too. So uh-huh. folks I know at Johns Hopkins at Michigan, Vanderbilt, places like that are on CNN and MSNBC and ABC News like yeah. all the time. I'm like, whoa, I know that person. I hear a voice <laughs> in the room. I'm like, that sounds like somebody I know. I look at the TV and it's like, oh, of course, I remember 
you or yeah. that's one of my friends and I'll text them and say, I'll see you on TV, you know? Um, so that's it's been, awesome. it's been a bizarre time. Um, yeah, obviously just from like, a you know, lived experience, like the distancing, the masking, all those things help to, to mitigate the spread. But obviously, you know, that, that causes a personal loss for sure. Yeah. Um, I can only imagine for our students here at Washington and across the country, like people who had their, their spring semester, perhaps their last semester in college cut short. Um, for, for me, I have a seven year old daughter and, you know, just seeing her trying to adjust to this, this new normal and, um, not being able to build bonds with her peers in the classroom is really tough. But, you know, in terms of, you know, just, the the mass of, of stuff. Um, it's been really, it's been a really tough year too, in terms of just the loss too. Um, so lots of people have passed away and I haven't lost anyone immediately in my network, but I've known a few people who've had the the condition, had COVID-19 and, you know, heard a lot of, you know, stuff that you don't hear widespread in terms of like the long-term effects, Mm -hmm. um, Mm-hmm. people's you know lifestyles are really changed everything from depression to you know irregular heartbeats to difficulties breathing and everything in between so there's a lot that we don't know about this mm-hmm. condition and Indeed. the virus and, and so um yeah so it's it's been a really busy year and like i said just trying to explain the inequities that we see has been um, yeah. a challenge I can imagine. I don't even know how you begin to explain those inequities. I mean, that's, uh, if I were on CNN, <laughs> I wouldn't know what to say. I mean, uh, obviously this is your area of expertise. I have to throw in though, whenever I hear uh, the voice of someone I know on television, being in the sort of entertainment realm, uh, it's usually an actor or actress friend of mine on a Preparation H commercial. Um, and that really happened once. I was like, wait a minute, that sounds like Oh my gosh, it's her, and she's riding around on a shopping cart, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> looking looking for hemorrhoid medication. Um, That's so, funny. Uh, but yeah, so how do you? I mean, I know it's tough to to encapsulate, but how do you begin to answer those types of questions uh, when you are interviewed? Yeah, sure. So I think you know, for myself and many people who are like me who've been studying health inequities for a long time. We kind of saw, I remember messaging with a number of people and like, oh boy, this could be really, really bad. Um, because communities of, of concern, um, particularly people who've been marginalized and, and, you know, due to segregation and economic di- disinvestment, all these other factors, um, you know, I was like, wow, this is going to be, this could really impact these communities in a disproportionate manner and, and that that ended up being very true so you know things that i always use to to explain what's happening one thing is that there's something called fundamental causes so there's this this notion this theoretical notion um from a subfield that that i was saying a part of which is social epidemiology and it talks about how if you don't address fundamental causes whatever disease of the day, the disease du jour will come in and distribute in the population such that it'll affect those who are yeah. most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So we think about fundamental causes. Those are things like income, education, 
Um, and in a lot of different ways, those things are inextricably linked in the United States to race. And so um, where people live, their context, what resources are available there, fundamental causes also affect many different disease outcomes and through multiple outcome mechanisms. mechanisms. So, um, and they also continue to affect us even when our, our like immediate risk profiles change. So what that means is that diseases will come and go, but there's always going to be, like I said before, this patterning where people who are most marginalized will always be the ones who suffer the most. Yeah. Um, and so I think the context makes a big difference. It's not a character flaw. It's not, to me, it's not a genetic issue. It's really like what people have access to in their environment. Um, mm-hmm. So even if you look at comorbidities, which people have kind of latched onto, like obesity and mm-hmm. overweight, um, and some of those things have, have been true, but also it's about, you know, the placement of, you know, toxins in the environment, too. So yeah. if you live, you know, growing up in Detroit, a lot of people don't know the busiest bridge in the United States is the Ambassador Bridge that goes over to Canada. Huh. And so if you live in southwest Detroit, right near that bridge, there's a lot of diesel trucks that are idling. And so uh-huh. lo and behold, those fumes are being released and there's, you know, a hot spot for asthma right around Certainly. Southwest Detroit around the, the bridge. And you can think about other examples in Texas yep. and St. Louis, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so those are things that are, are happening too that people are not talking about as much in terms of like context and how context affects yeah. vulnerability. Um, I think there's also um, people being employed in quote unquote essential services. So black and brown people are disproportionately represented in terms of occupation and you know, healthcare field. So not just in terms of physicians and nurses, um, but also people who are cleaning the the, the rooms. Yeah. And um, people are also more likely to live in intergenerational households. So like I said before, I was raised by my grandmother. So conceivably, I could have been working at a McDonald's or in some other type of, you know, service-oriented job and brought the virus home to my much older, much more vulnerable grandmother. And right. I think that's what's happened a lot as well. So those are some of the ways that, you know, I try to explain um, yeah. what's happening. Yeah. yeah. It's almost as if we've, um, and please correct me if I'm wrong about this, but it's as if we've moved through periods of history where there's a, a gradual veneer over these societal problems and COVID is something that exposes those, that just, you know, strips it away. Um, has Would you say that's accurate is what's happened now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the, you know, like I said before, it's kind of disheartening for people like myself who've been studying these things for a long time and kind of raising the alarm and saying, you know, we should look at these things. But sometimes it takes a crisis for, you know, everyone to be exposed to what's happening beneath the surface. And I think right now, especially in 2020, you've got essentially like dual pandemics. So you've got this fight for racial equity, which is longstanding. That's our familiar sort of, you know, fight. And then you've got this novel, this novel coronavirus, this also the other pandemic. And Mm -hmm. those two things are coming together and I think together shining a light on Mm -hmm. these sort of you know, underlying fundamental systematic, um, you know, ills, you know, systematic racism, thinking about institutionalized ways that, that the country is unequal. And, um, yeah, yeah so that's, that's what I think is going Indeed, on. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um, 
I want to move on and, and, and uh, this is, uh, as you know, Beyond Boundaries is an interdisciplinary program. I'm curious about one, a class that you teach called Transdisciplinary Problem Solving, Popular Culture mm -hmm. and Public Health. Can you mm -hmm. briefly talk about what that class is all about? I, I assume that's a graduate level course. It is, yeah, and I haven't taught it in a couple of years now, but the, the whole premise is that the the things that we try to sell, you mentioned your friend selling um, Preparation H. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> that's would, a very I, Yeah, I've intentionally oh, not mentioned her name because she would be horrified to hear. <laughs> but go on, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah, so that's a very clear product and ask, like you're selling a product or service. And so... Um, the folks over in Owen, they're they're learning how to sell products and services and increase revenue and make you know shareholders happy and all that. Um, whereas in public health, the things that we're trying to sell are not all that easy to sell. Just like right now, we're selling people wear a mask and you know stay apart, and and that doesn't feel good. Same thing with like our our usual suspects in terms of causes of mortality and morbidity like cardiovascular disease and hypertension, diabetes, things like that. Yeah. The things that you have to do are really not all that that sexy. Like don't eat the delicious foods that you really enjoy <laughs> and that yes. you've come to grow and love over time. Don't, you know, go hurt your body with physical activities. So go make your lungs burn and your joints burn. Uh -huh. um, so We've got to figure out how to help people make that decision. And mm -hmm. also in terms of like augmenting our broader environment to make policymakers and other key decision makers to say, you know, it's worthwhile to invest in X, Y, and Z for the greater good. And all those things are really hard sell. So the, the course, Popular Culture and Public Health, is really about borrowing from popular culture and other fields, so the transdisciplinary transdisciplinary nature of it was borrowing from, you know, um, Owen, the business school side, the marketing pieces, borrowing from what, what makes things popular. So what makes something go viral? Let's, let's think about social media. Let's think about, you know, how's a commercial or even a movie made and how do you capture people's attention? And so that's stuff that people typically don't think a lot about in public right. health, mm -hmm. um, if at all. And so I wanted to make sure students got exposure nice. to that type of information. Ah, that sounds so cool. I have, I, I gotta say, I have some of the coolest faculty. I just, they're so brilliant like yourself. It's a, it's humbling to, to do these kinds of, kinds of interviews and go, wow, that's fascinating stuff. So, um, so, uh, uh, what do you do for fun? What, uh, uh, you said you have a seven-year-old daughter, is that right? Mm -hmm. yep. Oh, yep, that's right. Uh, and, uh, she's, that's an adorable age, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a really, really sweet age. And so we hang out quite a bit. We try to, um, you know, explore. That's one great thing about St. Louis is that it's got a lot of family friendly activities mm -hmm. that are either, you know, low cost, really easy to access and things like that. Yeah. Um, so, of course, we do all the usual things like go to the zoo and, uh -huh. um, you know, just explore Forest Park in general. Nice. Um, does, does she have a favorite animal at the zoo? Um, it varies. <laughs> it varies. It depends on the day. Understood. Um, I ask her all the time, like, what's your favorite animal? It's always something different. Right. Um, her colors stay consistent, but her, right. her preferences for animals sometimes. Vary, Understood. So, Understood. Yeah. 
Yeah. So she has a right to change her mind. And so, um, absolutely. So do, do you find that what you, what you do in your free time is really all about her or do you do other things or? Yeah, I do. Um, I have her with me. I try to spend a lot of time, you know, in, in dad mode and, <laughs> and try to make an enriching experience. But, you know, in terms of what I, I do in my own, you know, kind of free time, you know, I'm pretty simple. Like I, during normal times where there's a lot of sports on, I guess more and more sports are coming on TV now, just yeah. enjoying sports, cheering on my Michigan Wolverines and various <laughs> sports. Um, yeah. I like, you know, movies and streaming. I have yeah. just about all the streaming services. Nice, nice. Um, you know, reading when I have a chance. I, I used to enjoy creative writing. I'm not very good at it, but oh. I, I used to do it. Um, nice. But yeah, those are those are some of my interests and in, in yeah. kind of things. I like to be outside. So, you know, one of the yeah. probably the jewel of St. Louis to me is Forest Park. So I, I like to go out there a lot. Yeah, I've heard it called Washu's Wash Backyard. <laughs> mm, yeah, I, that's, that's the good way to think about it. I always thought that was like... Not well, no, not not technically. Like it's everyone's backyard. It's not just one. Yeah, yeah. But... Well, at least it's not the front porch, you know. Yeah, that's, right. Uh, that's right. That's right. That's right. I've done a number of seasons out at the Muni in Forest Park, and so I've mm-hmm. you know I've kind of uh I guess both both had some play time in there, but also work time as well. It's um it depends. Sometimes you're like, oh, I just gotta get out of this park and go home. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and most everybody else is like, I gotta get to the park and leave home. Yeah, so, yeah. So, um, so what kind of uh, we kind of like to wrap things up. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I certainly do appreciate it. Um, uh, what we like to wrap up this the podcast with a a, a tradition of asking the guest uh, a question. Um, you're entering your first year at Morehouse College. I don't know mm-hmm. what year, I, I could tell you what year that is, or you could, but I, I'm not, I don't have that tip of my tongue here. Um, mm-hmm. So you're entering Morehouse College. Um, what advice would you, if you could, if you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself? Yeah, I think the, one of the biggest thing I would say to, um, to first year students would be the importance of developing relationships across the board. So, and, and embracing the opportunity to meet all sorts of different people. So people from all over the country, people from different races and ethnicity, and and just in enjoying that. Also developing relationships with faculty and staff too. Um, I think those are, and that's one of the things that I really like about being a faculty fellow is being able to sort of extend relationships with students that go outside of the classroom and kind of humanize what it's like to be a professor. Um, I would say, you know, some some cautionary things like social media wasn't real big. It was probably in its infancy when I was a college student. But, uh-huh. you know, it's easy to fall into a lot of peer comparison nowadays. It, it was back then. I can only imagine how it is now. Yeah. Um, so just trying to avoid falling into these like, um, you know, this person has this or has so much more of that than me. Um, mm-hmm. So just doing everything that you can do to just – you know, stay focused on yourself and enjoying who you are and development there. Yeah. And and I guess that would be the, the third thing I would say is just really enjoying the experience because you won't get it back. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Um, yeah, I wish I could tell my my first year stuff because I was very serious when I went to college, and <laughs> and that and that's good. I think it's great to be serious, but right. um, I definitely could have had more fun. So you want to find that balance. I think that's that's what a lot of life is about is trying to 
balance your, you know, adulting with your your mm-hmm. fun and and figuring out how to make it work over a long period of time. Yeah, but it's such a formative time. You know, that first year of college is all about kind of the journey and the exploration, and and uh, mm-hmm. you know, when you shortchange that, you're just shortchanging yourself. Um, but um, mm-hmm. that's really wise advice. I I I think that's uh, I appreciate that. I, I I tell my own design students. In fact, I did yesterday in my first first um, design class I teach uh, in the fall um, about kind of not, not judging yourself against others. You know, you have your own bar as long as you move, as long as you move from where you are to just a little bit better, at least in this, in terms of this, in terms of design, um, Mm -hmm. then you've done something. Don't look across the table at somebody's work in this case across Mm -hmm. zoom, (laughs) somebody's work and, and say, I'm not as good as, you know, Joe or Jack or Jill. I mean, it's just like, mm-hmm. that's only going to kind of be a, uh, just a kind of breed imposter syndrome of, of sorts. Yep. So um, that's really wise yeah, advice. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you think so. I'm glad to have your endorsement. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, I think it never stops as iterative too. I mean, I think that no. you, it doesn't stop in your first year in college, you know, even right now, like, you know, being kind of like a mid-tier professor, you know, people are above me. I'm like, oh, how did they get to that level? How can uh-huh. I, did they work all night? Did they stay up all day? <laughs> uh, how could I be like that person? So, you know, to some degree, it serves as motivation, but you have to be really careful not to become overwhelmed with, you know, the adulation and, yeah. and that you, you give to other people. For sure, for sure. I think the I, it may be the very last time I saw you was at a faculty senate council meeting, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I came about as close as you can come to presenting about Beyond Boundaries without actually doing so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I can't remember what derailed us, but it, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, that's, and that's okay. Of yeah. Yeah. At the time, we were like, I would think this was last, yeah, right, early. I want to say early spring semester, and they're like, yep. oh, we're just, we're just gonna book you in February, or I think it was March. We'll just book you in March, and mm-hmm. you know, we'll be good. And it's just, you know, hang on to your presentation. We'll have you back. And <laughs> nobody saw this, this, uh, this train coming. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody saw it. So yeah. Yeah, not even for me in public health. I mean, I remember telling my my public health students in the spring like you know it's not as bad as the flu yet so maybe we should <laughs> you know reserve judgment and yeah. maybe weeks later <laughs> i couldn't have been more wrong that's true that's true um but it, it's been such a treat to get to to get to know you a little bit better to to share your your expertise with our listeners uh, i like to joke all four of them um are listening and so uh, <laughs> I uh, I really really uh, do value uh, your spending the time uh, uh, put it be on the podcast with me. It's been really a, really a treat. So um, so thank you. Absolutely great. Thanks thanks for having me, and I'm I'm really enjoyed talking to you too. Yeah, I wish you all the best for the rest of your your Brown School semester. We're just starting ours on the undergrad level. <laughs> yeah 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 I know so. Yeah. yeah, hopefully everyone out there will stay, all four of us will stay uh, healthy and safe this semester. For sure. Yeah. Likewise to you and your family as well. Thank you. Absolutely.